Nehemiah chapter 2. And here's what the Lord says. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies in waste. And its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer <clears throat> be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's word that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to do this good work. Praise the Lord. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Would you grab someone's hand right now? Let's go to the Lord in agreement. Oh God, we thank you that when your children cry out to you, you hear us. God, you said in your word that when you are turned towards us with your ear, that not only are you attentive to our cry, but God, you stand willing and ready to deliver us out of all of our troubles. And so, Heavenly Father, we are coming boldly unto the throne of grace. We are reaching out for mercy to help us in a time of need. God, we thank you for the Spirit of God that is agreeing with our spirit as we're touching and agreeing and we're lifting up the needs of this world. We're lifting up those, oh God, who are afflicted by the coronavirus even as we are praying. God, I pray that you would stretch your hand of healing across the nation. God, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that you would lift someone off of their bed of affliction. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would continue to bring this nation and, yea, Lord, the world to a place of repentance that we might turn fully to you. And now, God, our Father, Take this word that you have placed in my spirit. Bless your people, oh God. May they not be distracted. May they hear this word as coming from the very mouth of God. And God will be so careful to give you the praise and the honor. For we ask all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to thank the Lord for Minister Will, who's in the house, and Brother Giles, and Brother Ron, and my son, Brandon, and Dontre. Thank you for being here today. And as we turn our attention to this passage in the Word of God, I'm reminded of a story that I heard about a man who was walking down the street in his neighborhood when he noticed that one of his neighbors was struggling in his doorway with a very large washing machine, wanting to help this struggling neighbor with his washing machine. He approached the man and said, would you let me help you? And the neighbor said, certainly, I would never turn down help you see I'm having a, a hard time. And so both men commenced to working on moving the washing machine. And two minutes passed, five minutes passed, and both men kind of backed away from the washing machine. They're drenched in perspiration, 
and they're noticing that the washing machine hasn't moved any further than it had been when the neighbor agreed to help. And so after the neighbor wipes the sweat from his brow, he said, man, we ain't never going to get this washing machine in. And the homeowner said, in? I'm trying to get the washing machine out. They had good intentions. They had a common interest. The washing machine needed to be moved. But the neighbor who decided to help never asked the owner how it was that he needed help. I want you to know that when it comes to Christians working together, we can be like the neighbor who was well-intended in his desires to help, but if you don't know how to help, you will find yourself trying to move something in that the neighbor's trying to move out, and you never really accomplish the objective. When God gives the pastor a vision for his church, the pastor's like, the homeowner with the washing machine struggling inside the door alone. The pastor's trying to move the washer one way while well-intended members or not so well-intended members can have an entirely different idea about how things should go. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus puts it like this. He said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every household divided against itself cannot stand. There must be a singular vision for every house. Our Lord also adds in verse 30 of chapter 12, he says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever is not gathering is scattering. When your agenda is different from the Lord, he considers you an adversary. Christ says, choose a side. What side are you on? You're either on my side, and if you're on my side, you're going to follow my vision, because two visions is division. The same principle applies for the vision that God gives a pastor of a church, a husband for his family, or a CEO who's in charge of a Fortune 500 company. If you reject the vision of the leader, you are actively operating as an adversary. So to be on the opposite side of the vision of the person that you're supposed to be following makes you an opponent, not a friend. Now, you may be married to somebody who has an entirely different vision of how a family should be led. You may have a different vision about how to raise children and if you should even have children, how to manage money, where you should live, and it doesn't matter that you share the last name. If your house is divided over vision, who is giving direction? 
about where the family is going, you have a divided house. And God says, a house that is divided without a singular vision, it's the, is, it, there is division, and that house will not stand. That house will not stand. When Christians are committed to one vision, God not, God not only blesses their lives, but vision from God lives way far beyond your assignment on earth, and it actually blesses your family for generations to come. That's why vision is so important. The Bible says that the devil comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. The devil is after vision because vision impacts generations. Vision comes from God for our lives. It will continue well beyond our assignment on this side of heaven. Tell somebody that you're sitting next to, let's do this together. Let's do it together. Again, from ne Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, the leader, Nehemiah, he, 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 he goes before the people and he says, then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let, let's do it together. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And the Bible says they replied, Let's start building. So they began the good work. They agreed that they would do it together. It is a powerful thing when people from different backgrounds and different uh, uh, religious experiences from one church to another can come under one vision and agree that we will commit to doing it together. There will nothing shall be impossible when the church comes together in unity for one vision. Let's commit as we go through this section of scripture to these four principles that we'll learn from Nehemiah. And I want you to know when I was growing up as a man, nobody taught me about vision. Even after completing four years of Dallas Seminary, we didn't learn about vision. And so I'm kind of late to the game, and even though the vision that God gave me started as early as I can remember as a brand-new Christian, nothing has changed. I, I saw myself as the next Martin Luther King, but, in, in, but the, the, not so much with his oratory skills, but the impact that he would make in the, in, in the community. I had already been thinking about that. I didn't understand that as vision. And I want to submit to you that there are many men who are responsible for leading their homes. But we have never been taught how to lead a home. We've never been taught how to cast vision. And so our dear wives are holding on for dear life, trying to figure out where we're going, what we want to do, and we really don't know what we want to do. We got, a, we got thousands upon thousands of young men who, who don't know what the next step in their life should be because they do not have a vision for their lives. And many of these young men ultimately are going to get married, and, and where there is no vision, the Bible says, my people 
cast off restraints. My people perish. And so it behooves us as we turn our attention to the word of God to learn what vision is, how we can do this together, how we can do this together. Now, let me share four principles from the leadership of Nehemiah, one of the greatest leaders in all the Bible that will enable us to build the walls that enabled him to build the walls in Jerusalem in 58 days. Those walls that had been torn down around the entire city laid in ruins for 150 years. But he was able to do in 58 days with vision and people committed to following the singular vision what no one prior to him had been successful in doing. Now, let me just share four things. You want to write these things down. This is going to bless you today. Vision from God is birthed in your spirit from a burden on your heart. God will place a burden on your heart. He will give you an interest or a passion, a desire for something in particular that matches your gifts. And so the first principle we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, vision from God is birthed in your spirit from a burden God places in your heart or a burdened heart. Secondly, we're going to see that vision from God must be bathed in prayer and fasting. You see that in verses 4 through 7, and sometimes God says, these kind only come out. There's something that God has impregnated your spirit with called vision. In order for that birth to come to pass, it must be bathed. It must be saturated. You need to pray over your family and pray over your career and pray over those things that you feel that God has shown you to lead your family to follow. You must bathe it in prayer and fasting. And thirdly, vision requires preparing for what you are praying for. You need to prepare for what you're praying for. If, if when God gives you a vision, just prepare for it to happen as you are praying. But you have to have a plan. If you don't plan, you're planning to fail. And if you aim low with your plan, you'll hit the target every time. Fourthly, we'll see that vision with divine provision will fail without the right team. The best vision will not succeed if people don't work together. It just won't go anywhere. It's like a plane without wings. You got everything that you need for the plane to fly, but if the plane don't have wings, if the vision doesn't have unity that is based on a commitment from a team, from a church, plan of God will not be accomplished at that church. It didn't mean that God didn't give the vision. It just means that the people that were part of that church did not come together. And the devil always is coming against unity because he knows the potential of God's people. Here's the first principle that I want to share from, from Nehemiah. Stay with me. Vision from God is birthed in your spirit from a burdened heart. In verse 2 of chapter 1, uh, Nehemiah asked the question of fellow Jews. He is living large in the city of Susa. He is the king's cupbearer. He has no reason to be concerned of those who are living in this impoverished, dilapidated situation in Jerusalem, but he was concerned. And so he asked the question, how are my relatives and how are the Jews 
How are the folks that are living in poverty in Wilmington, how are they doing? He asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said, the survivors who were left from the captivity in the providence are in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem are also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these, here's the burden. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. When is the last time you cried over something that the Lord put in your spirit? When is the last time God troubled you so about something you saw that you just couldn't sleep comfortably until something was, that's how vision is born or birthed out of a burden. Out of curiosity, out of an interest, when I heard these things, I broke down and I wept. And for some days, some days turned into four months, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. The vision that God gave me and mine was birthed out of three specific things that I want to share with you. And let me say, as I'm going to share these three specific things, God does not call you to something that you have no interest in. And it doesn't become interesting as an assignment for you just because someone else is flourishing in it. We're too often looking at, we are looking in the, in, in, on the other person's, at, at the greener, we have the greener grass syndrome. They are flourishing in, in, in their yard, and we, we look at what we aren't doing, and we say, well, I, just, I, could, I could do that. But no, that's not the yard God called you to mow. And so just because someone else has an interest in a burden, that doesn't mean that that should be your interest in burden. But whatever God is calling you to, there will be an interest, there will be a burden, and that burden will produce a passion that says something has to change and I will be the instrument in God's hand to make sure it happens. Vision sees the end from the beginning. Vision says that, it, that it, what I see in the present can be better because I am going to be a part of what brings about a positive conclusion. Vision sees the end from the beginning. And so the three things that troubled Nehemiah was the pain. The Bible says that the people were in distress and had broke his heart. He said that they were a reproach. They were in disgrace because the walls were torn down. He also was, he, he was also burned by the fact that the place where the people lived had broken down while all the gates were broken down. The main entrances, the entrance to the, to the city, the gates had been broken down and the walls were broken down. And that was a reminder to, to Nehemiah of past failure. It was a reminder of present danger where there were no walls, there was no protection. That meant that the presence of God wasn't there in the same way that it would be if the protection was there. It meant that the provisions of God, it gave the enemies of God an opportunity to blaspheme the name of God. And so when, when Nehemiah saw the walls torn down, it made him weep because the people were in distress and disgrace. He was also concerned about the past sins of the former generation that brought God's judgment. The reason the walls were torn down, the reason why God he created you, the, before God made you, before God created Adam, he, created, he, he, formed the, the, he formed the earth and created a garden to place Adam in. He, gave, he, he created Adam for a specific purpose. 
So before Adam was, if, if there was no purpose, Adam would not have needed to be created. He gave Adam the assignment of taking care of the garden and leading his family. God created you for a specific purpose. That purpose includes your vision. Or should I say more correctly, his vision for you. The past sins of the former generation was, was what was bringing about divine judgment. He says, Nehemiah, speaking of this judgment in verse 6, he says, I confess the sins of the Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the command, decrees, and laws. You have gave your servant Moses. And he says, what I heard caused me to fast and pray because it brought to my attention in this burden that I'm now feeling that the reason why things are this bad Oh, we've got the vaccines, and we've got the masks, and now we're social distancing. But we're moving towards 500,000 people in this country who are closing their eyes and breathing their last breath and entering into eternity. And many, many of them don't or may not know Jesus. The reason it's this bad is not just because of the previous administration. I want you to know when God allows a play, not only is he allowing, but in often he says, I am bringing about the drought. I am bringing about the judgment. And so Nehemiah prayed. The vision that God gave me was birthed out of a burden for Christians who are distracted and being destroyed by false teaching, by false doctrine. God says, my people are being destroyed. They are perishing because of false teaching. And so my vision that God placed on my heart, when I look around and I talk to people and I see the damage that not having an accurate understanding of the Bible, the, the accurate understanding and, and, and instruction from the Word of God impacts every part of your life. How you make your decisions about politics. How you treat your wife. How you treat your husband. What comes, all of that is based on accurate, sound, biblical teaching, and that my the burden for me in terms of how my vision was born was just a, a great sense of I need to be a part of helping people reach their full potential in Christ through the life-changing word. This is the only thing that's going to help you unlock everything that God has already purposed in you. So in my, with everything that I have, I'm committed to helping people come to that place. But I understand that apart from accurate biblical teaching, the potential that we had will never be realized. God spoke about this time that I am burdened about, and he calls it the last of the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, for the time is coming, it's already here. When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myth. We are living in a time where people are deceived by conspiracies, by false uh, teaching and philosophy, and that, the Bible says, that would be an indication that we are in the last of the last days. Now, why is sound doctrine or sound teaching important? Why does it matter? 
let me say that spiritual growth is impossible without sound doctrine. First Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says, Like newborn babes desire, crave the sincere milk of the word, the, the unadulterated, the, un, the, un, uh, the, the, the pure, the solid, the accurate, crave it like a newborn babe uh, uh, desires milk. And it says, so that you may grow up in your salvation. In order to grow, you have to, be, you have to receive the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. We've heard that over and over again. But spiritual growth is impossible without sound doctrine. You cannot grow. Here's a second reason why it's important. Spiritual confusion that leads to deception will occur when you are not solid biblically. I'm really troubled often with husbands and wives. It, it, it usually has been my experience that the wife is serious about Bible study and the husband is quick to say, well, I send my family to church. God didn't call you to send your family to church. You should take your family to church and you should be, as a man, the primary instructor of your wife. You should not have to go to her to instruct you. Doesn't mean that your wife isn't gifted and she can't teach you in terms of the things that God has shown her, but you ought to be the primary source that is giving spiritual covering for your family. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 says regarding spiritual confusion. He said, then you will no longer be immature like children we, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching sitting at everybody's table, every new doctrine, every new teaching, every new fad. We will not be influenced when the people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. That's the Living Letters Bible. But what happens is when you're immature spiritually, you are a perfect candidate. The Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion who roams to and fro, seeking who he may devour. What does the devil do when, he, when, the, when the lion is seeking to get prey to eat? He, it looks for the weakest stray. And the weakest stray in the church is the immature Christian who is not sound doctrinally because we had not learned the word. Let me run on. I'm gonna, also, here's the third reason why it's necessary. Spiritual fruitlessness. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 8, he says, For if you possess these qualities, we talk about increasing your faith, add to your faith, make every effort, be diligent to grow, be diligent to move beyond the milk of the word into the meat of the word, not just uh, uh, looking for fast food uh, instruction. It ain't he good? Oh, God's all right. I know he's all right. Uh, you, you want, he says, what happens is when we add qualities, when we grow in our faith, they will keep you from being ineffective or fruitless and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that, the Bible talks about how the Lord chose us that we would serve him and that we would bear fruit and that we would bear much fruit, that the fruit that we bear will remain. What happens when you are spiritually immature and undeveloped, the devil, once you get saved, he knows he can't keep you out of heaven, but he will do everything that he can to keep you on Gerbers, to keep you on Similac, to keep you from growing, because that makes you unfruitful for the kingdom. Here's the fourth thing, and there are many others, but I'm just going to share. Spiritual destructiveness. 
You become an instrument in Satan's hands when you are doctrinally unsound and therefore unable to grow spiritually. You become a danger to your family, to your marriage, to the testimony of the church. Carnal Christians destroy things, destroy marriages, destroy churches. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 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 3, verses 3 and 4. You are still worldly, carnal, immature Christians. He says, uh, uh, he said, you're still worldly and carnal. Uh, are you not acting like mere humans? For one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not acting like mere men? And he talked about, he talked about this jealousy and quarreling. Immature Christians are easily offended, live in their emotions, will fight in the, at the drop of the hat, and then apologize with tears. But somebody said in the word that the power of life and death, it don't matter that you apologize. You already said it. You already created, committed the crime. And so one of the dangers is when you don't grow spiritually is that now you are spiritually destructive. Here you are in the Lord 10 years, 5 years, 3 years, and you acting like you just got saved and you look more like you aren't saved because of how jealousy and contention and division following men rather than Christ, pursuing titles rather than the treasures of heaven. Now, what happens when you are doctrinally sound? What happens when you do add to your faith knowledge and love and long-suffering? What happens when you do? Listen to what uh, uh, the Word of God says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. You, became, you become imitators of us, the disciples who follow Christ, and of the Lord. For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. What happens when you are growing in the Lord, you become the message. Your, your profession <laughs> matches your practice. He said you became models to all believers. You become an example. Your light really does shine before men, and they see your good work. Sometimes because we're so immature, because of poor Growth in, we, you know sound doctrine, not so, let me make a differentiation. It's not knowledge alone puffs up, but love edifies. If you aren't applying what you've learned about solid doctrine, it's 18 inches from the wrong spot. Head knowledge is not the same thing as actual knowledge. God says faith without works is dead. Genuine knowledge of sound doctrine will change the way you live. It will change how you speak. That's what I'm trying to say. Sound doctrine matures us. It makes us examples for others. Paul, as your faith in God has become known everywhere. He said, we had no reason to talk about anybody regarding the Thessalon Thessalonians because the way you have changed by the word is no longer about you. It's about him. And so when people look at you, do they see Jesus or do they see you? They, they tell how you turned from God and from idols to serving the living and true God. What happens when you are sound doctrinally, you will turn from worshiping things and people 
and, and, and self-agenda and self-promotion. You will turn away from idols and you will, you will turn to the worship of the true and the living God. And now you're not just walking with a head knowledge. You are living in the power of the spirit of God. So when you speak, you can speak with authority. I want you to know that sound doctrine impacts every aspect of your life. That's why you need to be in the word. That's why you need to be in a church that is teaching sound doctrine. God has called me. My call is to equip you to do the work of the ministry so that you will no longer be as children being tossed by every, every deceptive doctrine. My job is to equip you. New Direction is an equipping church. That's what my vision is, that we are trained in sound doctrine so we can make disciples that make disciples not only in Newcastle, but now through the internet, we can reach the entire world. We are a disciple-making church, and I want you to know that in these days, that may sound like the wall. To, 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 to uh, Nehemiah, his big thing was the walls. The walls? Who cares about the wall? We're talking about doctrine. Who cares about? I care about doctrine because it impacts every aspect of life. How long are we going to be in our feelings and in our immaturity because we have not learned how to properly digest and apply the word of God. And so vision starts with a burden from God. He places it in your heart. And you're so troubled by it and so perplexed by it and pulled by it, compelled by it. Paul says, I am compelled to preach. He said, woe to me if I don't preach. I can't help myself. Even if I don't get paid, I can't sit down. I can't be quiet. I don't need to be in the pulpit. I'm, wherever I go, I don't become a pastor because I'm a pastor of New Direction. I'm a pastor because God called me and gifted me to be a pastor. Well, if I just had a place. No, you have a place because the Bible says your gifts will make room for you. Do you know this Word, are you studying to show yourself approved? A workman who rightly cuts straight, who knows sound doctrine, and you're standing on the foundation. And when the storm comes and your emotions arise, you understand that we don't put our trust in our feelings. We're going to press past how I'm feeling and we're going to place our trust in the Lord because the just shall live by faith. Vision from God must be bathed in prayer and fasting. Isn't it interesting how God will use the pain of vision to push you on your face? When I have grown the most is when I've been in the greatest pain. My worship is what it is today is because I have learned in my tears based on the burden and sometimes it's self-inflicted things that I decided or should have done that I didn't do and, and God was trying to lead me to another place to get me back on target to fulfill the call on his life. I have cried out to God and my worship has been most sweet in my tears. Am I calling out to him because I found that he's right there? Somebody know what I'm talking about. God will use your pain through your vision to push you to your knees. What's pushing you to your knees? What makes you cry out to God? 
Does God have to bring judgment or chastisement in order for us to cry out? Or is there central, a central thing that God has already revealed to you that you ought to be pursuing that causes you to think about it, pray about it, dream about it, plan about it? God uses prayer to prepare our hearts or to prepare the heart of the king. While Nehemiah was praying from December to April for four months, God was working on the king's heart. And so what happens when you pray over the vision, when you pray for the leadership direction and, and, and asking God for favor that your wife will respond, your boss will see your gifts, or, 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 or that, that the doors will be open that seem to be closed, what happens is God said that the heart of the king is in my hands, and I turn it like rivers of water wherever I choose. But the way that God turns the heart of a king, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says that when we pray for those who are in authority that God will use our prayers not only to lead many of them to salvation but to cause them to bless us with quiet and tranquil lives so what God will do through prayer as we're bathing and saturating our, our vision in prayer is that God will work on the heart of the king God uses prayer to purify us from sin that would otherwise kill our vision I want you to know the fact that you're still here, your vision hasn't died. God is not finished with you. Oh, you may be like Moses. God gave him a four-part a four vision. He got three parts of the four. He never entered into the promised land. Some of us will never reach the promised land because there were doors that were open that we didn't go through. But there's still yet vision to be fulfilled. And, 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 and Moses, until the, he breathed his last, he was serving God, leading the people as the deliverer. I want you to know that God is not finished with you yet. He actually says that your gift is without repentance. He doesn't take your gift back. That's why when Peter decided, I'm quitting the ministry because I turned my back on Jesus, guess what happened? The ten other disciples followed Peter because he had the gift of leadership. The gift didn't go away because he was in in his flesh, it simply meant that now he's a bad leader in the flesh. So people, if you're a leader, people are going to follow you. You, must, you, must be, you may be giving bad leadership. Here's another thing. Prayer and fasting releases the supernatural power of God. If you don't pray over what God has entrusted to your hands, you're not praying over your family, you're not praying that generations that have come through your loins and God has given you the responsibility for, if you're not praying over that, that what happens is the power of God is not released because he's, the Bible, Jesus said, pray without ceasing lest you faint. Much prayer, much power, no prayer, no power. The power of prayer releases. The fervent, effectual prayers of the righteous have great benefit. God responds to our prayer. And so what happens in four months, as Nehemiah is praying and fasting, God is working on the heart of the king. And one day he's standing in the presence of the king. And the king says, something's wrong. Your countenance is not right. What's going on? And then God had already worked, done a thing on Artaxerxes' heart. The Bible says in Ezra chapter 1 that the spirit of God had stirred the heart of Artaxerxes. Prayer releases the power of God so that your vision will be fulfilled. Let me run on. Vision requires preparation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. You ought to be prepared for what God has placed on your heart. It's going to happen. Rebecca said, write the vision down. Make it plain. Share it so that the hearers can run with it and it will come to pass. When Nehemiah, when the king asked him what's wrong, he, was all, he already had a plan. 
He said, send me. He knew, he knew where he needed to go. The king said, well, how long? He knew how long. He said, well, I won't be able to tell you, but when I get there, I can tell you. He knew what resources. He said, before I go, I need a letter from you. I need some timber. I need some soldiers to be going with. He knew what he needed. Do you know what your vision will require? Do you know where you are right now as far as God's vision for your finances? I do want you to know that if you're not tithing, God said, I'm cursing your finances. Well, I got more money than I've ever had, but this, your money's cursed. God said that. Look, 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 I didn't say that in Malachi chapter 3. I want you to know any vision that you say that you're a part of, that you are not tithing to, you're not committed to that vision. Because what we're committed to, God said, where your heart is, what matters to you most, that is where your treasure will be. I'm running ahead of myself. I had a lady, she came to me after church. She said, here, I want to give you one of these CDs from one bishop so-and-so in Atlanta. And I said, well, okay, praise the Lord. I see him sometime on TV. And I, she said, oh, I said, well, how did you get these? She said, oh, I buy them all the time. She was buying this brother's CDs in another city. Remember our church? She wasn't tithing to our church. She was tithing to a church other than the one that she was being fed by. I want you to know that when you are committed to a vision, you're not going to penny pinch God. You will not hold back. You'll be, if anything, you'll be asking God, not how little can you give, but how much can you give? I was reading a book of Ex Exodus, uh, this one well, my devotions, and the, the Bible said they gave so much that the artisans had to say, Moses, Moses, we don't need another offering. We've got more than we need. I pray for the day when we can say we don't need another offering. Prayer and fasting releases the poop around hell. You need to pray. He knew where to go. He knew how long it was taking. He knew what he needed. And he also knew who gave favor. Understand this, that the reason your vision is going to come to pass, if it comes from God, it will be because God gave you favor. I'm running on. He says in verse 8b, he said, and because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. The reason why this is going to happen, the reason why your children's children and their children's children are going to be blessed is because the favor of God is on those who respond by praying and fasting over the vision that he's placed in you. I remember times when my wife was pregnant. I would lay my hands on her stomach and I would just pray over the child that was there. The child hadn't been born, but, but we knew what the child was going to be, and we believed God for what the child was going to be. And I remember even to this day, for every child on their birthday, I am praying over them a prophetic blessing as a spiritual covering for my children. I'm believing that what God told me the day they were born is still going to come to pass because the favor of God is on me when I'm walking in obedience to his call. Let me finish with this. Vision with divine provision will fail without the right team. If you have people that don't believe in your vision, they have another agenda, they're trying to move the washing machine in, you're trying to move it out, the vision for that house is not going anywhere. The wrong people will try, will try to kill God's vision. 
Remember Moses, he told the people, let's go in and enter into the promised land. And after they listened to the report, the negative report of the 10 spies, only Caleb and Joshua believed the report of Moses. The Bible says that they, uh, they didn't believe God and they didn't believe they could go in. And so they rejected God's vision that Moses gave them. And 2 million Israelites perished in the wilderness. It was God's vision, but they never realized it. Joseph shared his vision with his brothers. And the scripture says they hated him for it. They beat him. They, they stripped him of his clothes. They threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, left him for dead. Because of his vision, the right vision with the wrong people can be destroyed. Jesus went to his own hometown in Nazareth, and the scripture says, after he taught with authority, they were marveling at his authority. They were amazed at how, how, how knowledgeable he was in scripture. And they said, well, who is this guy? And then they said, well, isn't that the son of Joseph? ain't nobody. And then Christ concluded, he said, that a prophet is only without honor in his own city amongst his own family. A lot of times, people that we know that we grew up with, you go to try to talk to them, they still think you pookie. <laughs> hey, hey, pookie, what you know? I ain't pookie no more. So what, what happens is that you can have the right, if Jesus, the Bible said, he could not perform many miracles there. I'm talking about the king of kings, the Lord, the great miracle worker. He could not perform because of their unbelief. They rejected the vision. But what happens when the vision is received, the right people can make God's vision for life happen. Let me share five things that were true real quick. When the people said, let us. Let's do this together. I'm asking New Direction Bible Fellowship. Let's not, this ain't no part-time ministry. This ain't no, uh, when we feel like it, we did God a favor by coming to church. And, oh, by the way, I checked in the Bible study for a few minutes. No, no, no. We're talking about building some walls. We're talking about rescuing people who are being deceived and confused. We're trying to help people whose marriages are falling apart. We're trying to take some guns out of people, kids' hair, hands. And when they're not just shooting you. They're shooting multiple times in your face and in your head. I want you to know that evil is running rampant. Church, we don't have time to play. My question to you, are you on my side or not? Here are five things that need to happen if we are on the same page, if we're going to build together. The first thing that this church needs to recognize, your family needs to recognize, husbands, your wife needs to recognize, and you need to recognize wherever you're You need to recognize that vision comes from God to the pastor to bless you and future generations. Nehemiah said, you see the trouble we're in. I've just told you we're in trouble. God put that burden in my heart. Here's the second thing. Not only do you need to recognize the vision comes from God, respect the visionary and the leaders responsible for implementing the vision. The king Provide, here's, what the, here's how you show respect for the leader. If God gives the leader the vision, the job of the leaders is to say, how can we make it happen? What can we do? The king, he wasn't even saved. He said, Nehemiah, what do you need to accomplish God's vision for the burden he put on your heart? And he gave Nehemiah everything he needed. That's the responsibility of the leaders under the pastor. Pastor, what do you need? It is responsibility of the membership to hear from the leaders what the vision is and say to the leaders, what do you need? We will give you everything we have 
to accomplish the blessing for the present. But more importantly, we're talking about legacy now. When I'm gone, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. But when I, the, the work that I want to do for God based on the call, it will live way beyond me. And you get to be a part of that. Here's the third thing. Refuse to participate in anything that causes or contributes to division. People are gossiping and talking about the leadership or talking about other members in the church. A house divided, Satan uses division to almost overthrow this country. We saw what division can do. We're still a divided country, but it's worse when it's in the church. So you should never be a part of or contribute. You need to shut it down if you are on my side. If you're not, then just make that clear. I wondered, why did my pastor, Pastor Richardson, would tell people, I mean, you can leave. This vision is not for you. I'm not mad at you. You don't be mad at me. If this vision is not for you, you're in the wrong house. We say to our adult children, well, you say, well, as long as you're in my house, you're going to have to obey my rules. We, didn't you say that? Yeah. And then they decide, I'm coming in at 5 o'clock in the morning. Guess what? They didn't get in because it was your house, your vision, your rules. And if they kept doing it, I don't care how much you love them, if you got any kind of backbone, you say, well, you got to find somewhere else to live. Refuse to participate in anything that causes or contributes to division. Here's another thing. Resolve in your heart. Make a definitive decision that you are going to be fully in. This is not about uh, me or you. It's about a collective coming together for a singular vision. You're not giving to this ministry and that ministry, half-stepping at this church and guiding another church and making people. No, no. Are you fully committed to the vision of making disciples that make disciples to bring people out of the darkness of false doctrine so that marriages and homes can be saved? Building a learning center, a family life center. Are you committed? If you're not, fine. Do something different. But we, we can't accomplish what God wants if we have multiple agendas. Here's the final thing. Rely on the Holy Spirit to do your part. God didn't call you to do everything, but you have a part. How exciting it is when you think back about opportunities that you had and you actually committed to being fully all in. And you can see as you talk to the people that God used you to minister to, are buildings that were erected and ministries that are still going on because you were a part of it. And I want you to know that we have an opportunity. We got a 10-acre property in Middletown, Delaware. We got a community that is bursting from the seams with all multicultural and ethnic groups that are unchurched for, mo for the most part. And we can go down there as we're, in fact, we're already there. We need to be doing everything in our power to come together and to be a blessing one to another so that we are moving as a seamless thread towards God's vision. Let's do this together. Let's do this together. I am not a fan of Bill Belichick, New England Patriots. And, uh, but I got to give him his props. He has won six Super Bowl champions. Championships. Now, we know now the, 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 the main ingredient who's in, 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 in Tampa Bay 
with Tom Brady. But I challenge you to name any of the pro bowlers from the New England Patriots during those six Super Bowl years. They're nameless. And yet, six years, they won Super Bowl. How could they win Super Bowl? And their names are not in lights. They, 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 most of them are not Hall of Famers, but they were somehow able to accomplish. And you talk about monotone. Bill Belichick is just the most boring person. He could put paints to sleep. But he has a vision. And what those who are under his authority decided to do, they resolved in their heart to come under the coach's authority, to come under his vision, and, and to collectively working together, they were able to, the running back, the defensive back, all coming together for one goal, and the goal was to win the Super Bowl, not to have their names in life, not to have people pat them on the back, not to tell them how great they were. They didn't have separate agendas, and when you did, you weren't on the team anymore. They accomplished the great how, how much even more for the church? If we come together with a singular agenda, God is about you. It's about glorifying you. It's about building the kingdom. I don't care if nobody pats me on the back. I don't care if nobody even remembers my name. I'm coming under the vision that we might make the impact in the world that you've called us to do in a time such as this. Are you willing to work with me? Let's do this together, church. Not just once a week, but make the church a priority in your prayer life and your fasting. Praying for the pastor, praying for the elders, praying for the deacons, praying for one another. Thinking about your role. What are you going to do? And starting now, what are you currently doing to help this vision come to pass? Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we're coming to you. Because vision is life. And the devil is always trying to kill and steal and destroy. God, may we not be instruments in the devil's hands because of our spiritual immaturity, our carnality, where we're actually claiming with our mouths that we support a vision. But our commitment demonstrates that we're not wholeheartedly committed to making this happen. Oh, God, push us past our comfort zone. May we be crying out because vision requires supernatural power. We cannot do this on our own. God, I pray that you would touch us in our finances, that we would trust you to give sacrificially. Father, I pray that you would take a spirit of stinginess and carnality away from this church for those who have made up their minds that they're not going to faithfully give as you've told them to do. And Father, it's not just about finances. It's about your, the heart. God, you don't want anything from our hands until you have our hearts. And so, God, I pray today that this would be a beginning place where we have clarity. This is an equipping church. That is what we are. That is what we are going to do. We will have a family life center. We will have a learning center. We will have a biblical academy. We will reach souls for Christ and see their lives radically changed. 
Father, we thank you and we bless you. In Christ's name.